The Leia Hyrulepan Show. Sponsored by Step Finance, your go-to DeFi portfolio manager on Solana. Luno, if you're just getting into Bitcoin, it's the perfect place to start. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Leia Hyrulepan Show. So as always, it is powered by the VC firm Icon Plus Capital, and it is sponsored by BlockFi, who offer really exciting interest rates. So I've left a link for you in the comments and in the description, so check that out. So joining me today, we have Morgan Harper, former consumer protection attorney at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and current candidate for US Senate in Ohio. Let's bring her in. Morgan, great to meet you. How are you? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's always so exciting to um, you know speak to people who are involved in politics that are um, talking about Bitcoin. So before we get into all of this, um, for those that don't know you, could you please give us some background about you? Um, you know where you're from and where you grew up. Yeah, for sure. So I am originally from Columbus, Ohio, which is where I am now. I was born at the Ohio State University Hospital, probably meaningless to you, but very important if anyone is listening who's in Ohio, and, um, and was given up for adoption. And I lived in a, a foster home when I was a baby and then was adopted and raised by my mom who worked in the public school system. And, you know, like a lot of folks, we went through a lot. And I just had some early life experiences that showed me the importance of having even one parent with a stable job and you know the level of financial vulnerability that we all could be subject to overnight. And that put me on this track to figure out what's going on, what is this? And it led me to public policy and, and eventually politics. So that's such an interesting um, background and upbringing. I have to just ask you about that. So how important, you know, you said it's so important to have that one stable parent. Um, you know, so how were you able with such a, I guess, difficult start, able to, you know, lift yourself up and be, you know, the candidate for Ohio? <laughs> well, my mom is pretty incredible. She's 78 now and still lives on the east side of, of Columbus. And, um, and, you know, she had, when I say a stable job, you know, she worked in the public school system when she had to take time off to be able to run and get us somewhere or go to a, a, a doctor's appointment or a legal appointment when things were really going down for us and my parents were going through this crazy divorce, she knew that she would be okay, that she would still have that job, that she had some time off. And, you know, she wasn't in a union and that that mattered. Uh, and, you know, I think what we're seeing so much now is there's not a lot of breathing room for folks, but that was absolutely the story of what allowed us to get through. And then, you know, and also I would point to a strong community, which consists mm -hmm. of people who have the ability and bandwidth to look out for others, not just focus on themselves. You know, when we couldn't make daycare payments that we got an extra couple of weeks, when we had to figure out how to get into, you know, a different housing situation that we had a neighbor that allowed us to move in for a few months. So that's, that's the foundation of what put me in a position to be able to get scholarships to go to first, you know, a fancy private school here in central Ohio, and then eventually to places like Princeton University, Stanford Law School. Uh, it's it doesn't just happen. And, you know, of course, a lot of individual effort, but lots of different people around me that put me in the position to make that happen. That's such an interesting story. Um, but you mentioned multiple times that you plan to only run for two terms. So why are you so passionate about that? I'm really passionate about that because I've been in the belly of the beast. I've been in Washington, D.C. So, you know, I first worked after college at the Federal Trade Commission, which is a federal agency that regulates consumer protection, competition policy. 
And, uh, and I, was, I was really turned off from that experience. I just didn't feel like folks were really moving with urgency, solve problems, which is the whole reason why I want to be in government. Because if you're not trying to solve problems, it's like, what are you doing? You could just be you know, in other sectors trying to make money, yeah. whatever. And, um, and it wasn't until you know, I got to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and really saw that government can do things, can, can solve problems for people, can really be efficient, data-driven, all of that, that I really started to believe again in what government could be. Um, and you know, and that, that was a really important milestone for me to be able to just realize the power, the power of being in public policy. You've spoken previously about... Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't actually get to answer your question. Sorry about Go that. On. So anyway, so once I was there, though, I saw yeah. that we could be doing even more in public policy if we actually had politicians that were on the side of getting things done. And, yeah. you know, for me, I was able to see in Congress just how much the limitations were people who weren't that focused on solving problems, who had been corrupted by money and taking you know, direct donations from people, bribes, some might say. And instead of actually moving with that urgency that I was so focused on that I found in my colleagues at the DFPB, we're kind of slowing things down. And you know, a lot of times I think people look for, well, what was the vote? What was the vote that showed that they were corrupt or had sold, yeah. sold us out or whatever? But in Washington, a lot of things happen before you even get to the point of having a vote. And in fact, the goal of a lot of the money in politics is to make sure that things don't go up for a vote. And so there is no accountability. And it's all the backroom conversations and meeting with lobbyists that slows the process down and prevents anything from changing. And so, you know, in seeing that up close, that's why, one, I've made a commitment to not take corporate money, but then also in order to restore trust in our institutions to ensure that, you know, stay focused on serving people, I also am very committed to only serving two terms absolute necessity in my view to be able to get our institutions back on track you said that a lot of the money um is to make sure that nothing is actually done and not much actually does get through why do you think that's the case why do i think people don't want anything to get done or why does it take money to do that why do you think that they don't want to get things done well, because what we have right now, and I do think we're living through uh, what's a bit of the the end end of time, so to speak, of having 40 years of really opening up the floodgates for money to enter politics that has enabled our, our institutions like U.S. Congress to be captured and then allows the folks that can fund that capture, which are ultra, ultra wealthy and very, very, very large corporations to then secure their dominance of our economy and make it difficult for small, medium-sized businesses to compete, for workers to really have an advantage when negotiating for wages, all of this. And so it's a, it's a pretty clear plan to you know, sow distrust in, in the political process that then lays the groundwork for economic gains for a very small slice of the population. Speaking of um, transparency and understanding um, you know, more about these political donations, you talked previously um, about issues to do with campaign finance and the ability for corporations to essentially donate directly to politicians. So how would we then fix that? And where for you does blockchain technology come in? Well, how we fix it is, I mean, there, there are a couple of options. And you know, ideally, we would have legislation, campaign finance reform. Certainly, that has been introduced in, in Congress now to do that. And it would be great if we had functioning institutions that could pass things that would restore uh, credibility to a lot of our institutions, but it's, it's not happening. And I, I have to be honest, I'm not, I'm not that optimistic about legislation that would change campaign finance laws. 
uh, getting through right now, just based on what the dynamics are politically in Congress. And I do, you know, I wish that we didn't have barriers, things like the filibuster here in our system yeah. that prevent that from happening, but that's just what it is. And so in the meantime, I think it's really essential that we have individuals, candidates, and then eventually folks who become elected officials, like we started to see in the last few years, who are making this commitment on their own. We don't need to wait for laws to pass to know what the right thing is to do. <laughs> and we could just have people who decide to do the right thing. And then that changes the whole political calculus of what the public finds acceptable. And I think that, un unfortunately, is, is our best route right now and the most efficient route. And you see it changing. I mean, when I first ran for office a couple of years ago and I said, you know, I'm not taking corporate PAC money. I mean, people knew what it was or what it means to be sold out to, to large corporations and all of that, but there wasn't a, a really great understanding of PACs and the fact that we have politicians who are just directly taking money from the people that we're supposed to be regulating and passing legislation to apply to. And you know, one, one question that really stuck with me and, and really informed just how I've, I've spent the last couple of years and, open, and being open to what it's going to take to fix this is... You know, someone said it at some point, well, Morgan, you know, you're critiquing all this corporate money in politics, but, you know, you also have people who donate to your campaign who live out of state. What's the difference? Mm -hmm. And I was, I was a bit shocked. You know, I always try to lead with empathy and, and understanding for everybody's coming at this stuff from a different place. But wow, because if, if we have people who don't understand what the difference is between an individual who's giving me of their, you know, full volition <laughs> money to my campaign yeah. and... AT&T, for example, who is giving $10,000 to a sitting elected official, then we as a public have a misunderstanding of power and how it works in this country, how it is wielded through our government, and how it is tried to use, it is used against us to prevent most of us from being more financially stable. And that is a big problem. And so by having individual people, candidates, and then eventually elected officials as well, who are educating the public by making this commitment, uh, that can have a big impact then about what criteria folks use to then vote and choose elected officials. And I've seen that even over a couple of years, just focused on Ohio. There's a much better understanding of the influence of money in politics and the desire to do something to stop it. Yeah, I definitely think um, the public, this is sort of a global thing, desires more transparency right now. Um, I think people definitely feel that they've been lied to. Um, but you made this really long thread a couple of months ago, which is actually how um, I came across you because I'm British, so I'm not directly involved in American politics. Um, but the thread was about Bitcoin and the importance of decentralization. So can you explain to me your view on Bitcoin? Um, and I guess really just, you know, what drew you to it? So I first started hearing about Bitcoin, crypto, blockchain technology when I was at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And you know, I started at the, the Bureau in 2013. And so it was, now time flies, we were talking about that. Uh, yeah. Gray hairs are coming, that was almost you know, 10 years ago. And uh, you know, and it, was, it wasn't part of my core portfolio, but there were just people who were meeting with folks that were in the industry, excited about the technology and coming back and you know, sharing stories about that. So sort of passively started to hear about it then. And you know, it's been interesting over the last year, just having more people, I was having more people in Ohio who were talking to me about how they were excited about it, how they were you know, investing, how they were thinking about applications of blockchain, and then also you know, creatives looking at NFTs and what that could all mean as well. 
Uh, and so, you know, it, it seemed like, wow, okay, this has gotten to a much broader uh, set of folks. This yeah. isn't just some niche thing as much anymore. And I need to be paying closer attention to it as well as someone who seeks to represent you know, people in, in this state. Uh, and so, you know, started just reading more about it, talking to more people about it, and wanted to put out a statement that just says, hey, look, I mean, I am all about trying to decentralize power and control and promote economic freedom among as many people as possible. And like we were just talking about, I mean, I think that is what a lot of the corruption has limited our ability to be more economically free. And so if this sector has the ability to broaden opportunity, this is something that we need to be talking about, paying attention to, learning, listening. Uh, and, and it's been cool. I mean, since we posted that, I've engaged with so many more people um, in this area, hearing stories, people reached out to me in Ohio who had never heard about the campaign or anything that I oh, stood wow. for that were messaging me on Facebook, like, oh, so cool to see someone who's running for office, who's talking about this. Um, and, and that was great. That was great because, you know, we, we've been living through this era where I think there's a lot of, you know, division, polarization. No, you, you're on this side, I'm on that side. And hmm. I want to, I want to try to bring in as many people as possible and, and be open to different perspectives that folks have. Yeah, I mean, speaking of um, the division and the polarization, a lot of people in the in the crypto community, in Bitcoin in particular, would say that Bitcoin is apolitical. Um, whereas Ted Cruz, um, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was at CPAC in Florida, made this really loud statement saying that the left don't like Bitcoin because they can't control it. Um, mm -hmm. And there's there's truth and there's also not truth to that. It, you know, it's it's quite it's quite a broad statement. Um, so you know, where, where do you stand on that? You're obviously a, a Democrat and you're interested in Bitcoin. So what do you think about, you know, the left, quote unquote, not being able to control that? Yeah, I mean, first of all, let's be clear, Ted Cruz, and, and this isn't, and this is really important. And this is something that I have come to after having a lot of conversations with people in this space over, you know, the last few months is we, we cannot just focus on one thing that people talk about. First of all, I don't know what it means to speak for the left, okay? I don't know. I don't know what that means. I don't know who you're talking about. But I do know that Ted Cruz is often not talking about anything that's about advancing most people in this country doing better than the day before. Okay. And and that's not a party thing. And and that's what we really need to be focused on. Is like we're we're moving into this era. And I do think that this is something, you know, when you say that a lot of folks that are into Bitcoin identify as apolitical, well, I do think there's something to that where we're in we're moving into this era where people are sick of the politics. They're sick mm -hmm. of parties. They're very skeptical of status quo and leadership, and rightly so in many cases. But folks like Ted Cruz are not advancing us to a higher place, in my view. And that isn't my view as a Democrat. That's my view as Morgan Harper, who lives in this country and is watching what's going on. And I don't hear any ideas. So just because, mm -hmm. and this is the real danger, and I have talked to people in the community who identify as single-issue voters. Well, more power to you. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of privilege built into being a single issue voter, I would say right now. But even if that, even if that's where you're coming from, I mean, look at what some of the, the other things that these folks are saying. People like Ted Cruz, people like, you know, Josh Mandel, who's running in the Republican primary on this side. It's, it can't be enough that they just put the avatar up on their Twitter, right? It's like, what else are these yeah. people standing for? And trust and believe it is not about expanding freedom. Okay, so we need to be a little bit more nuanced and analytical about what who we're supporting and why and what else they stand for, I would say uh, that would be one of my my charges to the community is got to be more responsible than that.
Yeah, I think, you know, I, I'm also personally really skeptical um, about politicians that, you know, come out saying that they, they support Bitcoin and then you look at their track record and it sort of just isn't aligned with, you know, freedom and, and and all sorts of things you know they could say they like bitcoin and then two minutes later they ban bitcoin mining you know so it's it, it is it is weird and we, we do have yeah. to sort or of women being away. able to do what they want with their bodies for example right it's like i don't know i mean i don't want to get too political but this is the reality yeah. that we're living in here it's like these are people that want to try to tell kids what they can learn okay they want to also prevent us from being able to manage our own reproductive rights decisions and just because they like bitcoin then we're going to ignore all that other stuff that doesn't sit well with me at all I understand. I think it, it's worth, you know, looking at the the individual's entire voting history and, you know, checking if it is congruent with what they're what they're supporting. Um, but I think, you know, right now, America is at this kind of um, crossroads, you know, like, is, is America going to be at the forefront of this revolution or um, like it should be? Um, or is it going to be left behind? And, you know, people were very concerned over um, the uh, Biden's executive order. So I'd love to hear your take on it concerned about oh concerned before it came out or after i think both well <laughs> i can speak about the after bit that's more to do with cbdc's which we, we can discuss um but they were more concerned about essentially just stifling innovation and you know we mm. can talk about elizabeth warren and her approach afterwards but i'd like to know whether you think you know his executive order is positive and where america is going to be moving forward is it going to be left behind yeah well, I, I actually saw it as a positive thing because to me, what it was is one, acknowledging that the space has grown and there's a lot of interest in it and that there needs to be some attention paid by the federal government to be able to explore what regulation could look like, what innovation should look like and how to best foster innovation and also balance you know, and mitigate any risks. Uh, that to me is a, a validation of just the growth of the space. And, and then, you know, the worst case scenario to me is folks just ignoring it altogether and then continuing to bash it without necessarily having full information. So I know I took it, I took it as a positive. And then, you know, looking through the order, what the charge is, is to different agencies. So the whole of government approach, having different agencies collect data, get information, that'll probably lead, I imagine, to you know, further hearings that will happen on the Hill, that there could be meetings that happen that are organized directly by the executive branch, by the White House, and, uh, and further educating people about you know, what the opportunities are. So I took it, I took it as a positive. Yeah, I, you're obviously, you know, part of this next generation of politicians, but I just, from what I can see, the current administration don't get it. You know, there was that shocking video that came out um, of Elizabeth Warren essentially refusing to listen to somebody explaining why Bitcoin isn't the best when it comes to, um, you know, illicit activity. So, you know, my question to you is, you know, why don't they understand it? And do you think that perhaps they are choosing to ignore it? I mean, it's hard for me to speak for others and you know where they're where they're coming from and and why they're saying certain things but you know i i have found and and this sometimes can happen in in washington that there sometimes can be a very you know, reflexive reaction and then once there's been a, a generally held view then other people just yeah. start sharing that generally held view and i do think it's important or i feel a responsibility as someone who is seeking to lead to engage collect more information, you know, like I was saying before, be open-minded and then form, form my own, my own opinions. And, and I think in, in, especially when you're looking at, 
you know, regulation and what that might look like. And that, that was what I learned being at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is you engage with all sorts of folks from industry, you engage with people from advocacy community, and you come up with what's the best policy. And I, I have a similar approach here. I think, you know, one thing I would point to, though, where there probably is the source of some skepticism by a lot of people, you know, coming from the consumer protection space is there's there's this sense that, you know, with the fintech and with a lot of the, the financial technology companies that emerged, and this was really growing, you know, when I was at CFPB and certainly has continued to grow after, uh, that folks were sold kind of a, a, a fake bill of goods, so to speak, right? You know, that there's going to be this revolution that's coming and it's really going to help and change, be a game changer for the unbanked and be much more equitable than the traditional banking system. And it doesn't seem like that has really proven to be true. I mean, we see a lot of replication of some of the dynamics that people could label, I believe rightly as predatory <laughs> dynamics that happen in the traditional banking system that also happen when you have fintech companies that are just layering on top of the existing system. And so I think that it is incumbent on people who you know, really believe in, in Bitcoin and crypto, in blockchain technology, in the possibilities to, even when it gets frustrating, continue to to educate people and engage and you can't just shut down and I think that you know the same responsibility for folks who are in elected office uh, we we also or, or seek to be there you know we we can't shut down either we need to be able to continue to learn and, and come up with what's the best approach to protect the innovation and have the US be a leader on it and then also mitigate the risks so how do we bridge the gap between those who are currently setting legislation on on all of this who sort of refuse to have an open mind about it um so how do we how do we bridge that gap of education and sort of you know explaining it in a, in a, in a balanced way that you know we understand you know regulation might be necessary um but let's like understand correctly what we're what we're regulating essentially like how do yeah. you bridge that educational gap well, you know, I think having platforms like this that are continuing to be a source of information for people that are a little bit outside of the traditional media is really helpful. Uh, and because well, I've seen and it's been interesting, I mean, even over the last couple of months and, you know, you're getting at this when you're mentioning Ted Cruz, that there's this view, oh, the left is anti, anti all of right. us, right? And I actually, you know, found just through engaging a, a little bit and then having a couple of examples of people who are willing to talk about it, that that narrative has changed now. And that's that's broken down a little bit because you see examples of people who are on the more progressive side of things, who are Democrats. Again, who knows what we're talking about when we say the left, um, but, you know, who are willing to who are willing to talk about it. And so that that changes, you know, the whole uh, landscape. And so that's important to have platforms like this. But then also, you know, when you look specifically at institutions of government, uh, that there, there are different branches and they're different branches for a reason. So, yeah, OK, you know, hitting some frustrating moments with particular people in Congress. Well, there's this whole White House that you know has also moved forward with this executive order and being able to apply more resources there. And then they also will have a separate platform for how to continue to engage the public. And that leads to things like I've seen even now in more you know, mainstream media publications that starting to cover it in a more balanced way. And what does balance mean? Balance to me, and this should be the goal of all journalism in my view, though it's not always the case, is presenting information and letting readers decide for themselves, not mm -hmm. so much editorializing. And I have seen, you know, especially over the last month, just more, 
more coverage that seems to me to have a much different tone, much more of an educational tone and less of a no, 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 no. Like, here's why you shouldn't even be paying attention to this. Yeah, I think um, the community feel, not to speak on behalf of the community, but I know that we have seen a lot of um, media, which is just so incorrect, you know, whether it be about like uh, Bitcoin's energy consumption, um, you know, there's a total disregard for actually how the renewable energy could actually be better for the environment. Um, you know, there's a total disregard for a lot of facts. So I know that that would be appreciated if, if mm -hmm. we started to see, you know, a lot more um, of an factual and honest conversation. Um, so so do you think we could get America would get to a point whereby, you know, there is too much regulation um, and innovation begins to move elsewhere? It's certainly possible. It's certainly possible. I mean, well, I, you know, I, I couldn't say that now we're at a place where there's too much regulation, but now we're at a place where it's just unknown where we're going from here. And like I said, I mean, to me, the executive order was a step in the right direction of gathering more information before moving too quickly in one direction or the other. That's yeah. good. That's a good starting place. Um, yeah, always, always the possibility that, you know, there's a lot of regulation in an industry that isn't necessarily then allowing the industry to grow. But it doesn't appear that that's where we're at right now. And I think by continuing to educate, engage, and in this, the other thing I would point to is, because this is a question I get a lot is, you know, what are the specific use cases? It seems like, mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes I'll, I'll be real with you. I mean, sometimes people struggle to come up with those of what are the use cases that make this, you know, so much better than what's come before in traditional banking. And look, you know, I, I am very open about critiquing a lot of things in the traditional financial system, but then, you know, being able to point to these are the specific ways in which this is an improvement and not a replication of, you know, what already is not working in the traditional space. And like I said, I mean, I think that is, that's what breeds some of the skepticism because people feel like that is what happened with a lot of the promises of FinTech, for example. How do you speak to um, people in Ohio about it when they ask you about it? So usually it's uh, people, so most often it's people asking me, why am I talking about it at all? Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, like we, t we, like we just discussed, I mean, I, I tell people, it's like, hey, look, we have a lot of people in our state that are pretty interested in this and different communities, different sectors. Um, I, sometimes I find that people are surprised to learn that, you know, folks are interested in the creative sectors and how that might allow people to be able to capture more of the ownership and financial benefits of what, you know, the work that they're doing. So there's a lot of, there's a lack of understanding, but usually now, because I've been speaking out about it more, I'm getting a lot of questions on, why are you talking about this at all? Uh, and, and that's interesting because, you know, I got more of those, I would say a couple of months ago, but now yeah. as there's more media coverage of the topic generally, people are like, oh, interesting, you were already kind of talking about this and now it's moving forward. And the environmental thing is a big, big issue. And so, you know, I don't want to at all minimize that. I mean, that is something that when folks are asking me about it, they bring up very specifically about, you know, how isn't this an environmental disaster and how are we going to be able to possibly, you know, avoid, don't we already have so many issues with the climate? Um, but, you know, being able to tell people, hey, you know, that's one of the questions I have to the community. And I, I'm always looking for more information about like, okay, if we're going to be moving forward with this, how do we mitigate you know, bad environmental outcomes? That has to be a priority as we're looking at, you know, colossal damage coming from the climate crisis. What's your yeah, answer for that, Leah? 
Yeah, I think it's a fair question. My answer is energy arbitrage. So the fact, so for the very first time, and I feel, so I, it's so hard to explain this, but I'm going to give it a go. So for the very first time, we're actually seeing the decentralization of energy. So you don't have to, um, you know, burn fossil fuels or do whatever you do to, um, you know, get that energy in certain parts of the world. You can use renewable energy from anywhere. So, you know, whether it's um, whether it's solar energy, geothermal energy, um, you know, hydroelectric, you can go to places where there's unused energy. A lot of the times people build, um, you know, like these these huge power plants and they're often built for the um, energy usage of tomorrow, meaning in 20 years time. So now mm. you have all of that infrastructure that's built and it's just wasted, whereas miners, because it's decentralized, can mine from anywhere in the world. So an amazing example is in El Salvador. So they're literally using the geothermal thermal energy from volcanoes with zero CO2 emissions to mine and to secure the network. So it's energy arbitrage. So it can be done anywhere. So and then also because the energy is cheaper, because either it's renewable or it's wasted, um, much of the time it's wasted. Um, miners are actually incentivized to seek out that energy. Does that make sense? Because yeah. Because it is so expensive to secure the network, they are literally incentivized to secure out greener energy because it's going to be cheaper. Um, and never before are you seeing, you know, the decentralization of that energy. So energy arbitrage, I think it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that is what I've heard from other people too. And um, yeah, and we just have to continue to show examples of it. I think for folks to really get that and 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 mitigate, you know, what is a really big fear is people are really concerned about the climate crisis, rightly, and knowing how this isn't going to be perpetuating the same dynamics. I think is really important. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just I I wish that we could have that nuanced conversation um, because people always talk about it. Like, you know, it's the end of the world, but but it's not. You know, and it's literally better for the environment because you know with the traditional banking system and with gold and the the entire um, you know in the gold industry, you literally can't do that. There's mm -hmm. no energy arbitrage. Um, so you know, for me, it, it, it's just quite obvious. And I just hope that, you know, we can have these honest conversations, um, but we'll get there, we'll get there. Um, but there was a part of the executive order which spoke about CBDCs, central bank digital currencies. And I don't know, you know, if you're involved in that much, but I just, you know, wanted to get your opinion on central bank digital currencies, because for me personally, I think they're quite dangerous. <laughs> Yeah, I, I haven't delved as much into that. So I would probably be more in question mode there. Um, yeah. yeah, what dangerous, why? So central bank digital currencies would basically be like a cryptocurrency um, that is controlled by the government. So it would be a, a, on a block on blockchain technology, um, but the money is programmable. That's what concerns me personally. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, I have these concerns that if there is this climate crisis and things are getting worse, we could all be using the CBDC and, you know, you go fill up your car and it's refused just because you've reached your pollution limit because, you know, mm. we're in this energy crisis. And now that money that you have that that is yours isn't really yours. So it can be programmed to do certain things. And even, you know, even there's a lot of... Um, we're living in this time of disinformation and misinformation and what was misinformation last week is now fact this week. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, so facts are changing. Um, so there's also concern, you know, that if you, if you retweeted a certain person on Twitter or you liked a certain post or you went to a certain protest, you know, your money could be frozen. And we saw that happen in Canada. So with CBDCs, essentially it's just more efficient for the government to have that control of your money. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I mean, this is, definitely something I've heard from a lot of people, you know, in the community is concern about, you know, 
a lot of government control and and not having transparency over you know how some um, regulations could change. I think that's fair, and um, and you know, but the counter to that is often okay. But then we can't have people that are just operating totally outside of the system, and there's no transparency. And that's where I think there is a lack of understanding. Is you know, there in in its best form, my my understanding is that you would have a lot of transparency. You have a lot of transparency on what's happening in the ledger and who's doing what, and um, and so that's less of a concern. But yeah, I hear I hear what you're saying. Haven't gone deeply into that, but yeah, understood. Yeah. So with 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 the ledger, I think I love the idea of transparency. But my concern, um, and also it'd be good to get your opinion on this, um, would be that it would be one way. So a lot of people feel like you know they're giving all these these dollars in taxes and all this stuff, and they're not really seeing where that's where that money's going. You know, whether it's going to fund wars, whether it's going, you know, to different big corporations. Um, so with a CBDC it would be sort of a one-way relationship, um, you know, so government would see would see every single transaction that the population have done, but we wouldn't see where that money goes. So do you think, and I tweeted this yesterday, we could ever live in a society or in a world whereby, you know, taxes are transparent on a ledger so we can see from start to finish exactly where those dollars are going? I think that would be really cool <laughs> and, yeah. and should be some expectation of what government is. I mean, on the the federal level is probably a challenging place to start with that, but definitely, you know, at the more local level, for example, I, I, I actually don't see why that couldn't that couldn't happen now, free of a even having a ledger, right? Is being able to demand transparency from our government on where money is going and then what we got from that expenditure seems very basic, yeah. right? And when we get at you know what we were talking about earlier, the lack of trust in our institutions, I do think it's because people have no idea what's going on. I mean, for example, I grew up around people, you know, I got this scholarship to go to nice private school. A lot of people were pretty conservative. And there was this view, it's like federal government, every dollar, waste of money. That's why I don't want higher taxes. That's why I yeah. want to be able to give to charity rather than having my money go to social services, all of that. And I do think that, you know, some of that is, those are people that just philosophically do not believe in government at all. Okay. I'm not one of those people. Uh, I think it has a lot to do with, for many people, about just not trusting and having transparency around what we're doing with this money. And so, yeah, I mean, I I am all about transparency. I am all about accountability. Those are two of the guiding principles of my entire life, and yeah. uh, and certainly what I think we need more of in government. And um, but yeah, but I guess you know, and not to not to turn a lot of questions back on you, but no, you know, I am kind of curious about, yeah. because what, like, what would be your response though to, couldn't that transparency happen even free of a ledger, for example? Like, couldn't you just have, for example, you know, the president, a mayor that's just going to say, here's the money we spent. Here's what it went towards. Here's what didn't work out about that, that money. And we're going to change, you know, moving forward next year for this reason, something like that. But that would require putting your trust in that centralized body, right? Whether it's the mayor, whether it's the government. Um, and I think we've just been proven time and time again that we just can't do that. And I think the whole narrative surrounding crypto and decentralization is, and particularly Bitcoin actually, is so that you don't have to trust a third party to, you know, potentially um, 
you know, doctor those documents, you know, make them false, change something. Um, and so I think the only way to truly understand where that tax money is going and how it's being spent is to have that decentralized ledger um, where we can see exactly what's happened. But I just, I can't imagine, I can't imagine a world where that would ever be the case. I think if, if they'd sort of say, you know, it's a national security issue, we're not allowed to know. Yeah. That's why, I, that's why, you know, it, well, it's really cool to talk to you about this. Uh, that's why I actually think starting with a local government might be more interesting there because, yes. yeah, you take away the life or death stakes of everything that's going on. It's like, okay, well, now we're talking about collecting the trash and making sure that, you know, rec centers are opened on time and this kind of thing. And, you know, moderate stakes at best, right? Okay. Um, and so that seems like a place to really experiment with these things and make the case. And and I don't know, I found once you start opening people up to transparency and accountability, nobody wants to go back from that, right? Yeah. And so being able to, yeah, you know, apply the ledger in that way could be, because I agree with you. I mean, right now, it's a rare politician that even agrees to not take any corporate money and agree Very to term right. limits and self-imposing them. But uh, so you probably do need some mechanism to drive that transparency and accountability that's not dependent on an individual committing to it. But I would love to believe that we're working towards a world that we have people in elected office that just want that anyway, you know, for for the good of the people. Uh, but yeah. I'm not Pollyannish that we have a long way to go there. Well, you make an interesting point, you know, you can do this on a state level because it's not life and death, you know, you don't have the entire, you know, establishment, you know, that you could, that could go wrong. Um, so on a state level, how do you plan, I guess, to start implementing these ideas? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, so I'm running for the federal seat. Um, and so I haven't, you know, in terms of on the campaign or anything, I wouldn't say that we've we've done anything to apply it directly. But, you know, it is it is interesting to just be able to have these conversations with people as we build towards what I hope is, you know, a better future where people really trust government. And so, you know, it's interesting to think about, for example, I don't know, once elected, and I'm just totally brainstorming here with you. Like, no, I love it. Do yeah. it. I love it. Um, but, you know, for example, as a U.S. Senator, you get a budget, you get to run your constituent services office and your your office in, you know, in Washington, legislative office, and having full transparency around what that budget's going towards and applying, you know, the use of, the, of a ledger or something in, in that way. I don't know, that, that could be interesting. And so the public knows exactly, well, this is how much I got to serve you. And this is what it went yeah. towards. And, and this couldn't happen. I love that. I love that idea. I mean, one thing that, you know, I've talked about a lot traveling around the state that's short of that, but getting at the same theme to me is, you know, hosting a lot of town halls and keeping people engaged on what's going on. I get the question of, okay, well, Morgan, you know, you say you're grassroots, you're going to be different, but what does that look like in a day-to-day -day way, you know, as a, as a grassroots, no corporate money U.S. Senator? And I point to things like that. You know, the typical model is you get elected, you see a lot of somebody as they're trying to get elected. Once you're elected, it's like, bye-bye, see you in the next six years. But I want to maintain that connectivity. And I do think it would be interesting to, to consider how you apply the technology to feed into that, you know, consistent communication with the electorate and also transparency around what the resources that are going to one individual center, senator are, are going towards and, you know, how they're getting applied. Yeah, I think it'd be fascinating. And, you know, 
if you're able to to do that and lead that, um, I know I can there'd just be so much support behind you because people do, they feel entirely disillusioned. Um, you know, even here in the UK, it's just just globally. Um people feel it really is, disillusioned. It is global. Yeah. And and it's I mean it it it's heartbreaking in a, in a lot of ways. And, you know, I had a conversation with someone who is in in my network, very skeptical of all of this. Um, and, you know, we talked through um, just how many people I, I engage with who are excited about it. And, and I think it was a, a humbling moment for that person because what it's getting at is what you're saying. It's like, people are distrustful. People are disillusioned. If we agree that it's rational that people find themselves in that place, then yeah. we can't just cut off the mechanisms that folks are finding to be a gateway to something better. It's yes. incumbent on us to both fix the institutions and have better people who are inhabiting them, who are more honest, who invite that transparency and accountability, but then also recognize, you know, in the meantime, this is providing value to people. And, and, there's, and there's ways for, you know, how the technology develops here to maybe feed into that larger goal as well. So more than anything, that's where I land on, hey, look, disillusionment, rational in my view. We have been completely misled by a lot of people who are supposed to be looking out for us. They have been bought off and they're not, not looking out for us. There's a lot of awareness about that. Some people are capitalizing on that awareness and trying to further mislead people and take us down mm -hmm. an even worse route. But I individually am offering myself as somebody who's like, hey, agree with you, honest about what's gone wrong but really, really committed to building towards a better future that is more free for all of us. And, and, I, and when I say all of us, I truly mean all of us. And that's something that I think we need to see, not just here in Ohio, not just across the United States, but to your point, globally, globally. And we need to, and we need to move forward on these things as quickly as we can, because in a lot of ways, we're running out of time. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And to what extent do you think that this is going to become, you know, either a partisan or bipartisan issue, um, you know, and it's going to be one of those, one of those, one of those defining issues, whether a bit like, you know, guns, abortion and LGBT rights, things like that. You know, I had someone who mentioned to me uh, that they thought it was going down that route. And I hope not. I hope not. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and even on those other issues that you named that have become so polarizing, I'm trying to chart out, you know, a different, a different path here where it acknowledges different viewpoints, but then also doesn't allow us to be totally captured <laughs> in whatever corner we find ourselves in. Because you know, you know what that feeds into? The overall disillusionment. And then we're just yes. we're repeating the same cycle. And so, you know, like take for example something like guns that now is presented as this highly partisan issue. It's like, well, you know, the reality of that is that there are a lot of people who probably identify as Democrats who also really love owning guns. Okay. Yes. And so the issue is not gun ownership. The issue is that we've had organizations like the NRA through a lot of money that has infiltrated Washington, DC, that has made people think that this is a yes or no issue. When in fact, the middle is much grayer. And what most people agree on is that we need to be doing things to prevent accidents, suicides, homicides in, right. involving guns. And so similarly here, I mean, to me, the reality is much more gray than you would necessarily get, especially from, you know, when I first started really engaging in this space and what media would cover is that, I don't know, when I'm not, when I'm beyond the political pundit stage, average person is kind of yeah. like, one, I have no idea what this is at all. Or two, it's like, oh, I've heard some things about that. 
that's interesting. Or three, hey, I know a lot about this. I'm really excited about it. And I don't care what all these people are saying. And that that to me is then, again, as a leader, responsibility as a leader is to create space yeah. for all of those folks to engage, learn, and then come up with what we want to we want to see moving forward. Yeah. And you made an interesting point earlier as well when you spoke about that, um, you know, talking about disillusionment and sort of, but the wrong thing, to, when, when people see an alternative to the current system, banning that is just the worst thing you can do. You know, it feeds yeah. into it. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think that's right. And also it, it does, another way that it feeds into it is it seems to disregard what's not working about the existing system. Yes. And this is something, you know, I pointed to in, in that thread or, or maybe the one we did after of, you know, take, for example, something like overdraft fees. Overdraft fees are totally messed up. They are predatory. There is no reason why with existing technology that banks can't know when you have money and when you don't. And if you don't have money, they can just reject the transaction instead of charging people who don't have a lot of money, $30 or whatever. Right. And so, yeah. And then what once people see is like, oh, so suddenly you're going to be all no on this thing, but that implicitly makes it seem like everything is completely fine and what we've got, further loss of credibility. And, um, and so, yeah, honesty. I think with this moment that we're living through, and it's a prolonged moment, and 2020s, we can call it, is just a real cry for honesty and more transparency and more accountability. And it'll, it's incumbent on us that, you know, those of us who really believe in that, living up to that and then finding each other as quickly as we can, like I said, because the alternative, the alternative is dark. Uh, and I do believe that we can have, you know, not to get too hokey here, but a brighter future, um, but it's not a guarantee, but it starts with yeah. honesty. No, I, I agree with you. Honesty, transparency, um, it's, it's the best way forward. Um, so just finally then, off topic is a side topic because I'm still really fascinated by um, the difficult, like I, I, I love I love the kind of story, which is a difficult upbringing and then, you know, make something amazing. I, I really love that and I, I value it a lot because I'm, I'm big on personal responsibility and I'm big on, you know, sort of saying it doesn't matter what happened, I can still make something great. So what would be, um, I guess, some sort of words of wisdom or, you know, three tips just for people who are trying to build something. I know, I know it's cliche, but it, it is nice. Um, people Sometimes who are trying to build something. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. People who are trying to build something and they sort of feel, you know, disillusioned with everything that's going on. Um, and what can they do right now, especially with inflation skyrocketing and the way the world is right now? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I just encourage people to to leave. I mean, you know, I, I got into this politics thing and everybody, you know, the, the political punditry class here in Ohio was kind of like, who is she? She's going nowhere, all of that. But what, what people like that misunderstand is that folks that are just regular people are very aware of what's going on and are fed mm -hmm. up. And, and then if you give some, if you present to the public something that is authentic and that they can believe in, I find people rally behind it. And so, you know, I, I had to learn this because, you know, one of the other um, outcomes from my upbringing, which, you know, really put me in a position to succeed in a very superficial, good degrees sort of way is it can make you a little bit nervous about slipping behind again, right? Yes. And never wanting to feel financially vulnerable and being a little more risk averse. And, you know, that I, I don't want anyone to think that we need to be leaping, we need to be swinging big, we need to be confident. And there are a lot of people who when you take those swings will line up behind you. 
and uh, as long as you're being authentic in what you're trying to do. So, you know, I think we have a system right now, and this is one of the policy issues that I'm really focused on is rewards, you know, a select few from feeling that they're comfortable to take those risks and not have any, you know, negative repercussions from them. And I want to broaden, you know, broaden economic opportunity, broaden the ability for a lot of us, more of us to be entrepreneurs and really be free. That's the goal and we can do it. I really like that. I really appreciate that. I think um, your your passion for freedom and transparency is totally aligned, um, you know, with your with your interest in decentralization and crypto. So I'm really excited to see what you do. I really hope we're able to, um, you know, make some changes and implement some positive changes as well. Um, where can people, you know, get involved in your campaign? How can people follow you? Um, well, yeah, plug yourself. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Morganharper.org is our website on all social platforms, MH4OH, so MH number 4OH, and reach out. Let's stay in touch and really appreciate everybody's support. We're in our final few weeks here. May 3rd is our primary, so it's, uh, it's game time for sure. Well, best of luck. Thank you so much for coming on, um, you know, and, and letting us know exactly what's happening. Um, and yeah, I'll be following. Thanks so much, Morgan. Thank you. Talk to you soon.